All right. Well, I'm excited to finish up this series. Today is the last installment of Love, Dates, and Heartbreaks. Some of you are like, thank God, right? I know, I know. Some of you are in that place. Like, I don't want to hear any more about relationships. Uh, some of you are, you've been going through the series and it's just been hard. Like, you know, like hearing what God has to say about love and how sometimes we don't measure up to that standard, that can be hard to kind of deal with, can it? And, and, and so, so I don't know where you are, but I, I, I do know that if you've missed any of this series, you can find it all on our app or online, and you can connect in that way, find out a little bit more about it. But I'll, I'll kind of help you catch up a little bit. But before I get to that, I just want to uh, let you know that next week we're starting a new series called The Slow Lane. All right. And so I'm telling you, it, it's going to be a really good series for us to kind of get perspective, because uh, I think sometimes we lose perspective. Isn't that true? Um, and, 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 and the idea around this series is everybody wants to be in the fast lane, but the slow lane is where it's at. And so we're going to spend some time talking about that and what God has to say about it. So I'd love for you to come back for that or, or invite some friends to that because I, I think it's going to be helpful to you as a human being. All right. And that's what we're all about at Elevation is helping human beings. Okay. Everybody a human being in here? As far as I know. All right. I want to pray for us. God, we are so grateful for you. Lord, we need to hear from you. Father, we open ourselves up to whatever it is you have to say. And so would you speak in Jesus name? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to get you caught up a little bit. And so if you're wondering what this series has been about, it's really uh, focused on anybody that's in a romantic relationship or wants to be in a romantic relationship. We've been talking about certain myths that we've believed and, and certain things that sometimes we grab hold of that aren't true. And, and so we dealt with what the Bible has to say about love. And, and last week we talked specifically about dating. And so if you're like... I've never heard somebody talk about dating in the church other than don't do it, right? You know, and so, so if you've never heard a message on dating, go ahead and check that out because I do think it'll be helpful to us. It's very practical uh, as we kind of talk about that because when you read the Bible, you hear a lot about love, but there's no dating really in the Bible. So it's kind of like, well, how, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do this? So if you missed that, go ahead and check it out. But today we're going to end the series dealing with heartbreak. Uh, the truth is, is if you've ever been in a relationship, uh, people seem to have an amazing ability sometimes to do things, say things that can lead to us feeling an enormous amount of heartbreak. Isn't that true? We can feel rejected. We can feel like that person, you know, said this and then it just leads to that. And, 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 and that's true. But I also think there's other heartbreaks that don't just specifically relate to uh, another individual sometimes. You know, it's not always in dating relationships. Sometimes it's when your dreams aren't coming true. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, you may be in that place today uh, where it's not just that your dreams aren't coming true. They can't come true. And you get to a point where you're just so frustrated by that your your heart is broken over that situation and 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 i know that that in life that's the kind of stuff that's very very real you know you thought this is where you would be by this time you know what i mean 
You thought you'd have that thing done. You thought you'd have this business or this person or, or this achievement or, you know, whatever it is. And, and it doesn't seem to be panning out the way that you hoped it would. And so it's very relatable, isn't it? That, that, that sometimes we get to this place where, where what we thought would happen just isn't happening. And, 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 and what we're left with is this, with this enormous amount of, of, of emotion and what we would just describe as heartbreak. And so I want to talk a little bit about that today because I know in my life and I've had my fair share of, I call it the gut punch, you know, where, where you're just like, st- some of us are still trying to catch our breath. You're still just trying to catch your breath because of what's happened. Some of us maybe have a little distance on it, you know, and so we've caught our breath, but it still hurts. You know, you're still in this place that it's just difficult. And so I just believe that God has something to say about heartbreak. Praise God for that. Praise God that his word has something to say to each one of us. And so we're going to jump into that this morning. And, and uh, I think there are two important things that you have to keep in mind when we talk about this subject of heartbreak. The first is a broken heart doesn't mean you are broken. A broken heart doesn't mean that you are broken. And then the second is there is purpose for you even when your dreams can't come true. There's purpose for you even when your dreams can't come true. Perhaps you thought you'd be married by this time or you'd have kids by this time or you'd have that by this time. And I don't know exactly all the things that you've dealt with or the wishes or the dreams that haven't come true or the emotions that you feel around that. But I just want to openly say, hey, I'm sorry that's happened. I really am. I'm sorry that you're in that situation. I'm sorry that you're going through that because As a human being, we all know what it's like to go through that, where there's not just an easy answer, you know what I mean? Not just some simple statement that somehow is going to propel you into the future. You're just still in this place of like, that was hard, and that is still hard, and I don't know what to do with it. And so I just want to up front say, hey, I'm sorry you're going through that, but I do believe that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And that the things that sometimes we believe as we go through brokenness, we start to believe that we're broken. We start to believe that, that just because something didn't come through or just because something didn't happen, that somehow now my whole life is over. That, 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 but the purpose of my existence is gone. And I love the fact that our God doesn't give up on us. That he's always working on our behalf and that he has a plan and a purpose. And sometimes it's hard to see, but I guarantee you he's doing something. And so, make sure you understand those two points. A broken heart doesn't mean that you're broken. And then finally, there is a purpose for you even when your dreams can't come true. Because we see that in the scriptures, don't we? We see that all over the place. Because there are people in the scripture, there are people in the Bible, that they experience heartbreak. Like the Bible's full of people like that. You know why? Because the Bible's full of people. It's the human experience. And, and, And so, like, you just... Think, for example, take like the mother of Mary, or I mean the mother of Jesus, Mary. I mean, she she was a a woman that the angel shows up and says, hey, you're going to be blessed and highly favored, right? Like everything, you know, you're going to, you're going to be the mother of the savior of the world. You like, you think about that and you're like, yeah, I'm a big deal. Think about that. She wasn't married. Her reputation. Think about that. In, the, in this small little community, no one wants to probably be around her. So it's like, and then it, it gets even worse. 
It's not just that she's going to be the mother of Jesus. And sure, that's an amazing blessing. But then later, we read in the scriptures in Luke 2, verse 35, the Bible says that, and this is prophesied over her life about her son. In other words, it's futuristic in nature. And this is what the scripture says. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. In other words, someday you're going to look up there and you're going to see your son being crucified. And your heart and your soul is going to be pierced. And it's like, oh, it's like I'm blessed and highly favored. But your soul is going to be pierced as well. And you know what I love about Mary? Mary looks at that situation. She looks at all the things that she's going to have to do with. And she says, I'm, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. Whether I'm up or down, I'm your servant. And so we know in the scriptures we see this. So like John the Baptist, for example, maybe you've heard of this guy. He was kind of the forerunner to Jesus. He was the one the announcing Jesus is on his way and he was doing his ministry. And there were lots of people following John the Baptist and he was baptizing people and he was saying, hey, this is what's happening. There's a, there, I'm not the guy, but the guy's coming. And this is, this is, you know, so he was announcing he was the one that was going before Jesus. And so when Jesus shows up on the scene, John the Baptist has all these followers and he has to make a decision. And this is what's crazy. This is what he says in John 3, 27. He says, to this John replied, a person can receive only what is given to them from heaven. And so what he's saying is, is that I was here and I'm doing this work, but Jesus is here now. And so I'm going to be exiting stage right and all the great things I've done, all that it, It doesn't even matter to me because I was here to put Jesus first. And I think sometimes, isn't that true? Like when you, when you can't complete something or when you can't, you know, take it to the next place, there's this part that feels like we get gypped, that we've gotten ripped off. And that's, that was John's situation. I mean, he has to walk away from something where, where, and, and what's crazy is you get to the end of that passage. He says this amazing phrase. He says, uh, that he was, that he, Jesus, should become greater than me and I'll become lesser. And he had this perspective that was so different. And then you get to Jesus. We talked about Mary. We talked to John the Baptist. We were looking at these examples of people that have experienced loss and heartbreak and difficulties. And can you imagine what Jesus went through? Can you imagine the things that he went through? I mean, listen to this. This is Jesus speaking in Mark chapter 14, verse 36. He says, Abba, Father. He's crying out to his Father. And he says, everything is possible for you. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup from me. In other words, take what I'm about to go through, this this crucifixion. And then he says, yet not what I will, but what you will. So he's looking at the possibility of being crucified. And he's asking God to take it away from him. Experiencing the heartbreak of all of that. Especially when the father says no. The father said no. And so he has to deal with that difficulty. And you know what? The thing that I've found is celebrities. Those are great. You know, like you go and you look at TMZ or People Magazine or whatever you look at to look at your wonderful celebrities. You look at their life and you're like, oh, yeah, they have a great life. And, you know, 
I don't know if that's really all that true, you know, but, but you know the people that impress me? The people that I really marvel at are the people that when things don't go their way or when things don't turn out the way they thought they should turn out, they still have this amazing faith in God. Like, I tell you what, there's something attractive about that to me. There's something powerful about people that see a situation from God's perspective, that they've really traded in everything that they want for a life that really is determined by what God wants for them. And sometimes that's really hard to do, isn't it? But yet that's the picture we see with Jesus. He's sitting in the, he's, he's in the garden and he's praying to God and he's saying, God, this is, I don't want this, but I'm willing to walk through it because you're God. And I tell you, those are the most remarkable people to me, the people that their dreams haven't come true, but they're still surrendered to God. I tell you, there is something powerful about those people. I just want to be around them. They haven't become bitter and angry. Now, we know the people that, 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 that are followers of Christ, and you've gotten to the point where everything has gone your, not your way, and you've become bitter, angry, frustrated, right? And you look no different than anybody else around you that are dealing with the same things. But there's something about the person that goes through difficulties and challenges, and they walk through it without being contaminated by the things of this world. By the emotions of life that then lead, can lead us to places that hurt us and hurt other people. There's something beautiful about somebody that's figured out how to do life that way. And I tell you, man, I want that in my life. I want to be that kind of person that I trade in my dreams. huh? I trade in my dreams, my desires, my wants for, for whatever the Lord has for me. And that's not easy to do, is it? Because we all have dreams. We all have hopes. None of us probably looked into the future and thought, you know, I just hope I'm alone. We all have these thoughts and these feelings and these ideas. And I just want you to see that you're in good company. But the Bible has it too. People all over the scripture have those same situations. Mary, John the Baptist, and even Jesus. And you know what I love about Jesus? Think about this. We, we celebrate him. I can't think of anybody that was more special in history. And yet, who experienced an enormous amount of suffering. An enormous amount of pain. And here's the thing. I think this is why we get in trouble. And this is where I have to kind of do a little teaching on this. Because I think what we have to do in order, we have to shift our perspective a little bit. You know, we've talked about these myths and these things that we buy into that then lead us to certain behaviors. I think this is kind of one of those things. And one of the things we have to refuse is this kind of prosperity gospel. Now, I know when I say that, there's all kinds of words and thoughts and ideas that come up in the room. You know, you're like, what, what, what? you know, just hold on before some of you freak out. There's something off when we create a relationship with God that is based on if I do this, he has to do that. Guys, there's something off 
when I say to God, I will do this, this, and this, and as a result, now you have to do this for me. Now, I get it. I understand why sometimes we can even get to that conclusion. And I'm not saying that God isn't going to follow through on all of the promises that he's made. He absolutely will. But when we create the standard, when we set the dream, and the dream isn't even the dream that God has for us, what happens is we can create a relationship with God that is predicated on what I want. And if I don't get it, what happens to my relationship with God? And that is not how God set things up. God had a different plan for us. And so since I did, God must. That's messed up. That is not good theology. It's very easy to walk away from your faith in God when you have that kind of relationship. Because the moment God doesn't come through the way you thought he should come through is the moment you're walking out the door. And many of us experience heartbreak because we've established that kind of relationship with God. And I just want to be honest with you, and I say this in the most loving way, that is not how God sets up the relationship. Whether you know it or not, you're not in charge. God is in charge. And our job is then to submit ourselves to whatever it is that he has for us. <laughs> God does allow bad things to happen to good people. Let me sit that in there. I know that's hard. God allows bad things to happen to good people. Now you hear that and you're like, Pastor, that's, that's, that's not okay. Now I didn't say God caused it. I never said that. I never said that God came in and caused the pain that you're experiencing. But you would have to be intellectually dishonest to come to the conclusion that God does not allow it to happen. Because we see it all the time. We see good people, God-fearing, loving people, people that are like way up there on the ladder in terms of their faith in Jesus, and they're experiencing pain at a very deep level. And you're like, what is happening? And the thing you've got to see is it is allowed. And there are reasons for that. And we can talk about that for days and we can have conversations about why that happens. But here's the thing that you have to see is that the best possible man, Jesus, had the worst possible thing happen to him. Think about that. The best possible man experienced the worst possible thing. And then somehow we think we don't have to share in any of that. And yet the Bible says that you do. That there is suffering because of our relationship with God. There's suffering in this world because of sin. We know that. We know it's real. And it doesn't mean that God caused it. But it is true that it is allowed. And I don't always understand why. I don't always get it. And so Jesus never invites us into this kind of tit-for-tat relationship. You do this, then I'll give you this. He's not a, a cosmic Coke machine. It doesn't work that way. You put your nickels in and you get your nice drink. I used to love it at Walmart. You go, they'd have those, those soda machines outside and you'd put like a nickel in and you'd get a soda. Then they just, they charge you the regular price now. 
But back in the old days, they had these cheap, you know, soda machines. Some of you are like, what, what is he saying? I don't even know what you're talking about. The thing that Jesus never offered us was this kind of relationship. Jesus didn't offer us an equation. One plus one, do this. You know, this plus this equals this. No, he didn't offer us that equation. He offered us an invitation. And that invitation was to follow him. That invitation was to follow him with our life, to surrender everything that is me to the one that is worthy of everything I have. That, 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 that's the relationship that I'm called to. I'm called to follow him. I'm called to lose my life. I'm called to lose my life so that I might find it that I might surrender. And I tell you, that's one of the reasons in the church today we struggle so much because it's like we treat the church and we treat God as like, if I do this, then I get that. If I just show up and I just sit there and I frown all day that people are supposed to just somehow be nice to me. It's like, at what point did you decide that you can't smile? That you can't say something to somebody. Why is it always somebody else's fault? Why do we create that kind of relationship? And God is in the middle of all of this stuff and he's saying to me, will you see what I'm trying to say to you? That there will be difficulties, but take heart. I have not left you. I have not forsaken you. That you are not broken. That, that, that you are not purposeless. That I am in the middle of all this. Can you imagine Mary thinking that her life was purposeless? And yet, she experienced an enormous amount of suffering. So we've talked about Mary, John the Baptist, and Jesus. And I want to zero in now the rest of our time on a guy named David. I don't know if you've ever heard of David, but he was a king. He's one of the most popular kings in the Bible. Uh, he was the second king of Israel. He was kind of a big deal, right? Kind of a big deal. And he, he oversaw one of the greatest growths of Israel's experience. I mean, in terms of their kingdom, I mean, all of that. And, and so David understood this principle. He learned things the hard way. Any of you all have thick skulls? Oh, you don't want to raise your hand? Is okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm the only one. But some of you have thick skulls, and you, you know, people have said you just have to learn things the hard way, you know. And, and I, I don't know if David had a thick skull. I, I mean, I, I never examined his skull, but I do know that he learned some things the hard way. There were some things that he went down a path that were difficult paths. And, and if you know his story, or if you've ever kind of, kind of, processed or read through the Bible, you, you maybe know a little bit about him, but I want to kind of catch you up a little bit. And that David, you know, we kind of are introduced to David and he's a shepherd boy. He's out there tending the sheep and they're looking for a king. And here's the problem though. Israel already had a king. And so they start looking for a new king and he gets actually anointed king while there's still a king. Can you see how that could be a conflict? Kings typically don't like other kings in their kingdom. And I'll let you sort that out as we call Jesus king. Come on. But typically kings don't like other kings in their kingdom. And the thing that we see about that David, that he was the one that was anointed to be king. He was 15 years old when he fought Goliath. 15. 
he goes out there and whoops up on this giant and everybody's singing his praise. And, and then think about this, like Saul's like, yeah, that guy's tough. I need him in my army. And so he pulls David in, gives his daughter to David. He's now married to the king's daughter. I mean, think about it. You're on your way up at this point. What do you have to worry about? But then all of a sudden, the cheers for him get so great. The cheers for David start getting great. And you know what Psycho Saul starts to do. He starts to get jealous. And he starts to throw spears at David. It's not good to have the king throwing spears at you. And so David is on the run. He's running. He's, <coughs> excuse me. He's fleeing for his life because the king is after him. And that's kind of where we pick up the story a little bit. Because I, I think we want to look at this. So, so David is on the run, and he's ran to a village called the Village of Nob. Isn't that a great name? Village of Nob. Where do you live, Nob? <coughs> and in Nob, there are a bunch of priests. Like, pretty much the only people that live in Nob are priests, okay? And so David shows up. And, and, and he's having this interaction with the priest that's there. And his name is uh, Elimelech. No, is that right? Yeah. Elimelech. Yes. David asked Elimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? So, so David knew that there was something there. Okay. He knew there was something. I'll get to that in just a second. He said, I haven't brought my sword or any of my weapons because the king's mission was so urgent. So David is lying at this point because, again, he's on the run. He, he's not on the king's mission. So he's kind of faking it out, you know, and, and if you're the priest, you're probably thinking, so you're on a mission from the king and you don't have any food or any weapons? That's curious, David, right? So, so you go on, it says, the priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah is here. It is wrapped in the cloth behind the ephod, which is like a priestly garment. If you want it, Take it. There's no sword here but that one. David says, there is none like it. Give it to me. And so David's having this interaction with the priest. He's on the run. Keep that in mind. And he, he says, give me that sword. And the crazy thing about it is, is that when he grabs hold of that sword, there should be this moment in David's mind where he's reflecting on what happened as a result of that sword. He should be thinking about the past faithfulness of God, but he's not. He's looking at his future and his future looks dark. He's not reflecting on what God has done. He's not seeing that that sword represents not only God's faithfulness, but it re represents his protection. He's not seeing it because all he sees is what's coming. All he sees is what he can see into the future. And the, guys, I had that experience this week where I started looking into the future. And the moment I started looking into the future, I started to feel myself getting heavy. You ever had that? We stop focusing on what God has done. We stop focusing on the past of what his faithfulness and protection has been. And then we start only looking at the future and it starts to look really dark. And I've found that when that happens, you know what we do as human beings. I do this. You probably do this. We try to start controlling things. You know, we start making deals with God. 
We start negotiating. We start putting the chess pieces in the right place. We're just, we're just, you know, because of, you know, if I don't do it, then nobody's going to do it, right? And yet the Bible says that God is for me. God is on my side. God is helping me. Even if I'm going through difficult times, he hasn't left me or forsaken me. And that's what David does. He starts to take matters into his own hands. He says, give me the sword. There's nothing like it. And the hard part about this story, it's one of the worst stories in all of the Bible, as far as I'm concerned. David leaves that place with the sword. And guess what? Saul finds out. And you know what Saul does to those priests? Saul comes to the village of Nob, and the Bible says he kills everybody. Because this priest helped David escape. Can you imagine being on the other end of that as a king or a future king, knowing that that decision, that decision to look backwards and rather than to look forward into what God had for you, to not look at the, the to how he had been faithful, but to only see what was ahead of you? And I tell you, some of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life have been because I did that. I did it in fear. I did it not based on God's faithfulness or not based on, and that's what you start to see that, 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 that David begins to take everything into his, own sand, into his own hands. And Saul finds out and everybody dies. I tell you, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've had to make a decision like that or you've made decisions and people have been harmed by them. That's tough to live with. It's tough to live with. And yet that's, that's where David is. And so Saul kills everybody. Time goes on. David becomes king of Israel eventually. He becomes king. He starts to lose his moral compass as a father and as a leader. He makes some bad decisions. He's lost some respect. He ever, you know? He's 60 years old. And his son Absalom who was the heir apparent, shows up and begins to work against him. And Absalom starts to build an army of people to overthrow his king, or overthrow his father and his king, because his dad was unwilling to do anything about the rape of his sister. He was unwilling to face that down. And, I, and I, I look at this story, and sometimes I get so angry with David. I'm like, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you just go and do something? And I, and I don't know. I don't know what it was that kept him from leaning into that problem. But as a leader, have you ever been there? Have you ever been at a place where you're so kind of terrified of a situation, you decided not to lean into it, and the longer you did that, the worse it got? And, 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 and so, so David is sitting here and, 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 and he starts to look around and he starts to notice that his son, his son is coming against him. Wow. And so what does David do? He leaves. Like in my mind, it's like, I, get the army. Let's go, Absalom. You think you're a big boy now. Let's do this. But he doesn't. He doesn't. Look, check this out. In, in, in 2 Samuel 15, 23, it says, The whole countryside wept aloud as, as all the people passed by. 
The king also crossed the Kidron Valley and all the people moved on towards the wilderness. You know what this is saying? It's saying that David left Jerusalem. That he said, I'm out. That as Absalom's army is coming in, he's leaving. He's leaving. Can you imagine? Let me just pause for a second. Can you imagine the emotions that David's going through right now? Right? The heartbreak, the betrayal, the frustrations, all of that, right? You get it. And so David is in this really difficult place. He's now leading people into the wilderness because he has vacated and left Jerusalem and his son is coming in and David is on the run again. He's on the run again in his life. He was on the run when it came to Saul and now he's on the run again. Heartbreaking situation. Difficult situation to even kind of get your mind around. And sometimes I'm wondering, David, why weren't you more courageous? But why were you cowardly in this situation, but so courageous in that? And I ask that of myself sometimes. Why was I so courageous here, but I'm cowardly here? What is it? What's going on in me that I, I respond that way? The story gets even better. You're like, could it? I know, I know. Second Samuel 15 24 through 30, Zadok, who's a priest of, for David, was there too. And all the Levites were with him as they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Can you see it? So there's all these people. David's leading them out of Jerusalem. You've got these priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And one thing to note about the Ark of the Covenant, it was literally uh, the symbol of God's presence among Israel. That's a big deal. And so the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant is being uh, led out. It says they set down the Ark of God and Abathar offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. So do you see what he's doing? He's worshiping. He's inviting God's protection as they vacate the city. He's going to keep doing it until everybody's out. You see that? So there's this presence of God stuff going on. Then in verse 25, it says, Then the king said to Zadok, Take the ark of God back into the city. Wait a second. Why would, why, why would he do that? Wait, what's happening here? We'll get to it. Watch this. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. But... If he says, I'm not pleased with you, then I'm ready. Let him do whatever seems good to him. That sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Not my will, but your will be done. Verse 27 says, the king also said to Zadok the priest, do you understand? I like that. In other words, am I making myself clear? What I'm asking you to do, go back into the city with my blessing. Take your son with you, Abathar's son, Jonathan. You and Abathar return to your two sons. And I will wait at the fords in the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abathar took the ark of God back in Jerusalem and they stayed there. But David continued up the Mount of Olives and look what it says. He was weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefoot, a sign of mourning. And all the people with him covered their heads too and there was weeping as they went up. 
Sometimes in Israel, they did this. And God was always disappointed when they did it. Is that they would take the Ark of the Covenant out in order to try and control certain outcomes. That they would take the presence of God with them in order to get certain results that they wanted. And so in this particular instance, we see that they are walking out with the covenant of God or with the Ark of the Covenant. And we have to note that they're doing that because they're trying to control the situation. In other words, if God is with us here, then he won't be with them there. And so you've got this control thing happening. And you know what I love about David? He's learned his lesson. Because see, back in the old days, he grabbed hold of that sword, didn't he? It led to the death of many, many people. He had learned his lesson that he wasn't grabbing hold of that because he wasn't sure this wasn't something God was doing. He wasn't sure that the situation with Absalom wasn't something that God was doing. Can you imagine? And so often in our lives, we can't even, it's not even a possibility for God to do something like that. And I think the thing you have to see is that God is always loving us. He's always loving us. He can be nothing other than that. But I'm telling you, there are times that he allows things. And I don't always understand why. But I do know that sometimes it's because he's trying to teach us. He's trying to shape us. He's trying to make us better. Because I've found in my life, I, I actually grow, if I'll let it, I actually grow through pain a lot quicker than I do through my comfort. And guys, when you're going through heartbreak, it's hard to see that, isn't it? Because all you see is the hard. All you see is what's right there in front of you, the pain you're feeling, the anxiety, the the stomach aches, the the difficulties, and, and you're not thinking about it. And then I just love what David does. He just says, I am done. I am done negotiating with God. I am done trying to say, okay, if you do this, then I'll do that. He realizes how futile it is. And he says to Zadok, take the ark back into Jerusalem because I'm not going to play that game anymore. And he says, whatever the wills of the Lord is, if he wants me back, then I'll be back. If he doesn't want me back, that's okay too. I'm ready to go because I love him and I love him only. And it's not about what he gives me. It's about who he is and the fact that even if I'm dead, I get to be in his presence. There is a surrender that happens in our life when we get to that point and we say, ah, I'll give it all away just for you, just to have you. Powerful, isn't it? And I can't even imagine what Zadok was thinking. He's like, you want me to do what? You're going to leave the presence of God in Jerusalem? What about us? What are we going to do? David had lost three sons. He had lost his dignity. He was losing his kingdom. He had lost his marriage. He was losing his dreams. Can you see it? All the things that were happening. But you know what I love about David? David lost everything, but he didn't lose his confidence in his relationship with God. Regardless of his circumstances, he wasn't losing his confidence in a God that loves him. 
His confidence was in God. David did not anchor his faith to the fulfillment of his dreams. Do you see it? He didn't anchor his faith to whether God followed through on something that he said that he wanted. He surrendered his life and he said, my dreams, I'm not even going to go there. I want your dreams for my life. Whatever those are, I'm in. And all that other stuff that I've been looking for or trying to manipulate or control or negotiate or whatever it is, I'm done. I am so done negotiating with you, God, because we know how fruitless it is. He's God. He's in charge. And the more I learn to surrender to that, as hard as it is, the better off I'm going to be. And so we have to set ourselves on this idea that Jesus invites us into a relationship. Jesus invites us to follow him, to lose our lives. Your will be done, not mine. It's your right to rule in my life, not mine. And so, just to remind you, a broken heart doesn't mean you're broken. And there is a purpose for you even when your dreams can't come true. God is working on your behalf, and I don't always understand why everything's happening, but I do know that he's for you and not against you. And so when your heart is broken and your dreams seem to not be able to come true, or maybe they're not going to come true. Don't run and try to control everything. Don't try to negotiate. Don't just, but instead, you know what? Lean in, look up, and reach out. Lean in, look up, and reach out. Because see, God is right there. We sang it when we were kids. He has the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. Right? Such a simple truth. But when I'm going through heartbreak and pain, if I can just remember that he has the whole world in his hands, and that includes me, that means I can lean in, I can look up, and I can watch him do a work in my life that I couldn't even anticipate it. It doesn't mean it's easy. It just means that he's with me. And so my heart for you today is that you'd lean in, look up, and reach out and remember that God has the whole world in His hands. I have this prayer I want to just kind of offer you. And I think, do we have that? Go ahead and bring it up. And so I don't know if you want to pray this with me, but, but let this be our prayer together. If, if this is something you want, let's, let's pray this together. I offer you my dreams and my plans. Do to me whatever seems good to you. I acknowledge your right to rule. Your will be done in me. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much. You have been so good to us, even in the difficulty. God, I just remember that phrase, and I've held on to it for so long in my life. And that is that if, if I knew how faithfully you were working behind the scenes, I would have more peace. God is working on your behalf behind the scenes. And he invites you to a life of peace. I tell you, we found something. 
when our peace isn't contingent on our circumstance. We found the one who owns it all. We found the one that holds all of the peace in his hand. And all he's asking is that we would reach for it. And I know that there are some in here today that as I preach this message, it was like nails on a chalkboard. Because it just feels like that I'm, it's just more. And I just want to say to you, just for a moment, close your eyes just for a moment. And I want you to think about you as a human getting really small. Just picture that. You're getting small. You're being shrunk. Now, imagine God with his big old hand scooping you up. And you're sitting right there in his hand. Can you see it? He is more than able. He is more than able. He holds the whole world in his hands. And he loves you. Right now, Father, would you begin to minister to the broken hearts in this room? Father, would you begin to stir the love of God in their lives? God, would you pull them close? Would you hold them in your hand that they might know again your love, your mercy? Draw them close, God. Break down the bitterness. Break down the walls. Faith. I I speak faith to begin to rise in their lives. Just allow it to begin to rise in your life. Hope again. Hope again because God is on the throne. Hope again because he holds the whole world in his hands. Hope again. He's good and he loves you. I think about Mary's heart being pierced as she looked at her son hanging on that cross. And I know that there are some people in this room that they don't have that relationship with Jesus yet. And everything I've been saying to you, it's just not quite getting there because you haven't started here. And so I want to give you an opportunity. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you this question. Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, your Savior? And if you don't, I believe it's your day. You're here for a reason. So I'm going to ask you on the count of three to do something. I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith by simply raising your hand up as an indication of your desire to enter into that relationship with Jesus, your Savior, your Lord. And so right now, on the count of three, just lift it up, and I just want to be able to pray for you. I'm not going to point you out, or I'm not going to do anything like that. I just want to pray for you. So right now, on the count of three, one, two, three. Go ahead. Raise it up. Good. Good. Who else? Anybody else? Today's your day. Okay, you can put your hands down. Church. We are all going to pray together. And so if you did raise your hand or if you wanted to raise your hand, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. This is not some kind of magic incantation. It's not that at all. It's just a desire for you to take a first step. 
towards a relationship with God. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that it's real, that Jesus would come in and he'll change your situation. He'll begin to work on you. He'll save you. It's going to be good. And so church, let's all pray together. If you raised your hand, pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I need you. I'm tired of being savior of my own life. Will you forgive me of my sins? Will you be Lord of my life? I surrender all to you. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate those that are making decisions?